Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. We're going. We are a-going, a-going, a-going. This is exciting. I can't wait to introduce you all to the guest today. She is a rock star. Um, you probably already even know her. A marketing <laughs> leader, a thought leader, podcaster, speaker, entrepreneur. Yeah, I go on. Decades of experience in marketing ops, demand generation, co-host of the Forward Thinking Podcast. I love that name. Co-founder and board member of Women in Revenue, which we definitely need to talk about. Principal consultant, co-founder, CS2 Marketing, Chrissy Viteri Saunders. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm super yeah, excited. I'm excited you're here. <laughs> that was the best intro I've ever gotten, by the way. Thank you. Oh, so good, much. good. You know, sometimes <laughs> people clip that and they make that their wake up on their cell phone. You know. I know. Yeah, I do. I I struggle even to do that for myself on our own podcast. So I love it. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Feel free to use it at will. <laughs> <laughs> make a T-shirt out of it if you need to. Totally. <laughs> Well, hey, I'm stoked that you're here. Um, there's so many things to talk about. You, your experiences across so many different areas. So what I need to do is just shut the hell up and pass you this thing. It's heavy, but I know you got this. Uh, okay, here you go. Thor's hammer. You got it? One hand, two hand. There you, there you go. Okay, look at that. You got it. Um, excellent. Nice, nice. So take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth bogus strategy, misconception, just set the record straight once and for all. So the myth, and it's actually one that I care passionately about right now. It's one that personally I am trying to, um, you know, demystify or, or bunk pretty much every day. And that's that marketing ops is not a strategic part of the marketing team and they can't be strategic leaders in marketing. Um, wow. And Yes. Like I think when you think about it, it's kind of crazy, but I think the easy way to see um, this it right now, like if you want to see a symptom of this is if you go to any kind of job board. So in women in revenue, we even have our own Slack kind of job opportunities for people okay. who post um, recs. And you look at all the ones for um, marketing ops, it'd always be a kind of a coordinator or a manager or, um, mm specialists and you don't really see like leaders or you know vps or heads of um right. it's very hard to come by and if you do you'll maybe see a few like um companies in you know the bay area or really big companies um like enterprises that have those roles and um but i do think that part of that is because of um how people think of a marketing ops role. I think they really only see a little bit of the surface and what actually encapsulates marketing ops isn't very visible to the rest of the marketing team. They only think, okay, they're the people that run our marketing automation platform and they get emails out, but you know, what do they do beyond that? But, um, and so even from a CMO perspective, especially if they haven't even been in an organization where they've seen how effective a marketing ops team is or how strategic and they can be, then that just further, um, you know, attributes to the problem. And so 
my thinking is that actually marketing ops and as a department itself and for the people that lead those teams, they're just in actually a great position to be a strategic um, leader and partner to the marketing team and even kind of lead, you know, a good candidate to someone who could be a great CMO one day. And the mm. reason why I think that is because it touches so much of what happens um, from a lead to a customer, that whole um, customer journey. And they work cross-functionally with all the different teams, even to like customer success. And so they know what's going on for each of those teams, how they should work, what are the best practices, what are benchmarks. And so they not only understand the strategy, how it should be operationalized, but also like what are those kind of like key, what's the key data um, that supports those teams and how should we look at it? Right. And it's, um, I, but I think that in some cases they, you know, still the marketing ops team doesn't get the budget that they need. They don't get the hiring, um, you know, leeway that other teams do like headcount. They really have to fight for it. It's, it's, it's always this battle of like trying to fight for headcount. And, and then that's a, a lot of time why agencies are brought in because mm. there's a lot of work to be done or, or one person is trying to manage it all. And then an agency is kind of brought in to do it, which is, is great for my team. But what we rather do is still see a marketing out person really be a leader and thrive in that company. And they would partner with an agency like ours to really drive transformation there. Right. Um, but it does require that the whole marketing team itself or leadership, you know, even to, up to a CEO to really understand that this team is what makes or breaks marketing. Like you literally can't do marketing without marketing ops. Yeah. You know, it's weird. What a powerful myth because not only is it a myth, but the exact opposite is true. You know, right. and, and even more so, it's like, not only is it, it not, is it very strategic? It's like probably the most strategic because it touches mm -hmm. the whole journey. Like you mentioned, why do we think, why is this misconception there? Uh, why are we not educated? Why do we not know this? Why do people not know this about mops? Yeah, I think, I mean, I always go back to sometimes I feel like it, yeah it's not like sexy enough. <laughs> right. I mean, we, you know, it, the abbreviation is mops, right? So like a bunch of mops <laughs> in a closet. Right. And I think that it's very technical. Like it can be very technical, but um, which is a little bit of like what people don't, what people can't understand or don't know, like they just shy away from. And I think that's very much the case from a leadership standpoint where maybe this whole department wasn't even a thing, you know, mm. more, you know, more than 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and it's evolved massively. And, it, and, and even more so in the past, I'd say like five to six years where you actually have seen that whole department grow into individual roles and a leader really leads those people. Where before is maybe you had a one marketing ops person, if you're lucky, and all they did was kind of push buttons and make sure people campaigns went out the door. So I think it's understanding that so much has changed, like all pretty much everything we do is digital, even more so now, which is why I think you see the demand for the, um, this role go up. But I think because, like I said, the sexy part, people don't understand it. They just um, think Mark, you know, I, we always talk about this and make a joke, especially in the mops world is like, what the hardest thing to do is to like tell your family and friends what you do. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. You know, it's like, um, what do you do? I work in marketing ops. And they're like, what's that? Or, oh, so you do like, you run campaigns or like digital ads or, you know, everyone thinks of kind of marketing in more of a traditional fashion of like the kind of arts and crafts and, you know, kind of creative um, side of it. And, but when it comes to the marketing ops side, unless you are, you know, a bit more in tune to like understanding like what happens, like, you know, technically, um, or even that whole, um, you know, life cycle journey and how that should be tracked and, and, and optimized and stuff that you, you don't really know. And so, and, but also because there's just so much that marketing ops has taken on over time too, that totally. the leadership just, um, still can have one very different perspective versus the other. So you might even have, you know, interview four CMOs out there, you know, one of them might think a uh, marketing ops can be strategic and will really align with them um, and, you know, have them run the reporting and be in all the important decisions. Another will just think, well, I'm just going to hire my, you know, Marketo, Pardot, HubSpot admin and, and that's marketing ops, right? And because that's what they're used to. And so I think from a top level down, that's where the education um, needs to be done. And, and that's actually part of what, um, why with even our own podcast and our newsletter, we try and target CMOs because we think that if they understand, then that whole team will get elevated as well. Got it. Yeah, no, it, it, it is kind of a catch-all. I remember uh, many moons ago in a marketing ops role and, and I was trying to explain to my grandmother what I did. And, <laughs> yeah. and I was in the car with my my younger brother who is like a police officer right so yeah he's like oh kip what do you do he's like i'm a police officer he's like oh that's very nice casey what do you do and i was like hmm uh i help people sell things online i'm trying to like tell her very simple terms you know Uh barely use a computer and then of course you know with old people 10 minutes later she's like kip what do you do no 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 you're a police officer casey what do you do no idea right like yeah it, it didn't stick so what what do you tell people what what is a good are there good working definitions of what marketing ops is if you have that in your title or if you if you own that part of the, the responsibility yeah i mean i think we talk about this a lot and i think it's it depends really how deep you want to go but we always try and find also some analogies that works really well. Yeah. So um, like how to compare what marketing ops does. Um, and, but I honestly think that it can be simplified into just marketing ops is just what makes marketing work. You know, like we're the team that just makes sure that from all of your campaigns down to how someone, you know, um, you know, enters the sales cycle, we just make sure that all of that is optimized and that it just happens and it works and in the most effective way. And literally like we help the whole marketing team drive revenue. Um, And I think if we still, if we continue to think of it that way, where marketing ops literally will help us generate revenue, doesn't matter what team, your customer success team, demand gen, I, I think that will always be, well, that'll just continue to elevate our team because if we're just like, we're the people that send out emails and we're the people that fight right. fires like that happen. Or, you know, if we continue to stay in that like lower level mentality and talking about what we do, 
then that will just further perpetuate the problem. So I think we show one, we literally, marketing can't happen without us, we're necessary. And then two, like we're the reason how like revenue um, can get created. That is just also, yes, you can't, you know, marketing ops is is necessary as well. And and so that's like the, the simplest way is um and from an operations standpoint from a company you know like mm-hmm. i think that team as well there's a misconception of like what does operations do for a company True. and there's there's so much and so i think we fight that same fight on the marketing ops side um but for an operations team for a company they can easily say like we just help the company like do like be a company like all the things that kind of encapsulates that and for our whole product as well and i think for marketing ops is you know you can't do marketing without marketing ops and we help operationalize basically the, um, the company's marketing strategy. Right. Right. And one of the things that stood out to me as you're, as you're talking through the, the, sim- the simple way of looking at it is that they own the process. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about, okay, what about a you know, content marketer? Well, they're writing content and hopefully mm-hmm. they're doing a good job and they're doing buyer research and they understand who they're writing for, but maybe not in a bigger company. Maybe they're just doing content or PPC folks or, you know, someone who just, just does the email, but who owns the fact that everything connects? If nobody owns that, then it probably is not going to work. That's where you see people with 30,000 leads stuck between, you know, marketing automation and CRM. It's because no one owned the whole process. Mm-hmm. It really does make sure everything else works. Totally. And I think that there's the tactical part to it too, mm-hmm. but I think there's um, what we also need to um, kind of elevate the conversations is there are like really strategic things that marketing ops can own. And I think if you just look at, yes, there's like the whole lead process literally from a person is, you know, hit your websites created down to when it hits sales and then becomes opportunity a customer. Marketing ops can own that whole process because they're defining how that happens, how it gets to the SDR, then how that SDR sends it over to sales and then tracking that. And you know, even what are all the campaigns that fall underneath that, all of that is being tracked, but then the actual literal process of how it gets there is, is how we, what we manage. Mm-hmm. But then if you look beyond that, it's like the lead life cycle, the stages in which we track our life cycle, what are the definitions, how we're reporting on that. And all of the reporting structure, even from a CMO up to like your C-suite for the board, marketing ops will normally own a lot of that. And so mm-hmm. I think when we focus on kind of the, what we do as far as how it aligns to the whole company's goals and we, and you know, if you're an internal person and you're talking about what does your marketing ops um, team do, you can really say, you know, always keep in mind, what are the company goals? Then out of of all the projects that you do, how those align to your goals. And then that's your top track. These are all the things that we're doing for the company to meet our, to meet our goals. And obviously a lot of that's tied to revenue because that's the company's number one goal. Right. It's such a huge point around elevating marketing operations. And it starts with the people actually in it. And Mm -hmm. to your point, we can easily fall into this tactical trap of saying the the tactical things we do, which are important, but they tie in to that bigger use case. And if mm-hmm. we talk about, if somebody asks you, people listening, um, what do you do? If you go right to the tactical part, then that's where the bucket you're going to stay in. But if you first go to the strategic part, like a lot of what you're describing here, Chrissy, then it's like, 
yeah, we got to start with that kind of a conversation and then you start elevating yourself in the organization and totally. you know about the pipeline contribution, you know about how these things are happening, you know, all the different touches and how it all comes together. And that's, that's entirely strategic. Totally. And I think the best like mindset that a marketing ops person can change for themselves if they want to be that strategic leader is to really just think about the business, like almost put yourself in that entrepreneurial mindset. Like if I was running this business, what would I want to be done? Like what are the, what are the strategies that's really driving this business? And that's something that I think has always been something that um, really interested me. Even from when I first had my job, I literally was always scribbling down notes of everything someone said from like PR, comms, like that shouldn't have interested me because I was like more on the demand gen team. And so, but I wanted to know all the pieces of that, how the company worked, because I felt like in order to make the right decisions, even from an operation standpoint, understanding the whole business will better inform that. And that's the approach that I take even today where I care about like what your ICP is for your customer. I care about what um, your company's overall goals are. I care about who you're wanting to sell to, what your go-to-market strategy, because that, that informs the best decisions to be made operationally or in marketing ops. The details, like that they matter. And, yeah. and somebody needs to care about them because they, you know, what's interesting is I once saw this chart where it showed if you optimize, like if you put like the whole process you have from say lead to revenue, and you optimize like 1% here, 1% there, 1% there, or I think the example is like 10, 10 here, 10 here, 10 here. And if you did that, um, those percents add up, mm-hmm. right? To, or if anything, they have exponential. They do. Effect, don't they? Yeah, yeah. If anything, so it, it's and it's not like oh, we only improved this by one percent. No, you did one percent all these different places. Now you've grown by thirty percent. Totally. All you did was make small incremental changes, but the, the details matter. To your point, all these little these little areas they matter um, from a bigger picture standpoint, and mm-hmm. it makes the whole engine run. To your point, it makes it run, but also run efficiently and effectively. Totally, and I think that the the biggest thing for marketing ops team where there's endless amounts of work to be done um tons of things to be done but the best way to do that is when they're prioritized um and and party like you're the one thing that we're always going to run up in marketing ops is lack of time and lack of resources like no matter how probably well funded you are because we are all always trying to fight for that headcount but because there's just so much that you can do, but where do I focus my time? Where do I focus my efforts or for my, even my small team or, or for some of us are used to being maybe that one person leading the marketing ops team. That's definitely important where I should focus my time. And a lot of that should be tied to the whole goals of, of the marketing team, but being able to really identify those or even know who to go to, to identify those, means understanding the whole business itself. Now, I guess the n- next inevitable question from that, now now I'm thinking about the lack of time and resources and prioritizing, and I'm sure some of this comes from the company, but do you have, I mean, is there a hierarchy of needs, you know, that marketing ops, you know, should to be thinking about and the way that they should approach it? Yeah, I think that, um, I, I think that the, 
The thing that we always come up against too, and, and, and when I say we, like I, I can sympathize with, with the marketing ops leaders because yeah. I used to work in house. And so I always ran up against like, you know, being that one marketing ops head of global op- marketing ops, and I'm supporting 30 marketers, mm. like one to 30 people. How, how, you know, it, and it's 30 tough, whiny but- marketers. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the thing is like, I always focus on like campaigns and anything touching revenue. So I really always like kind of focused on um, campaigns and the marketing strategy as outbound campaigns as well. And then at like the closest thing to marketing, which is usually sales development. But in some cases for some of you, it might just be the whole sales team or SDRs. Um, And that's where I feel like if you're making, if you make sure all of that's running well, and is sorted that's like the first battle that's where you should spend most of your time because that's what the company cares about like i i hate when i when i see um some marketing ops people just focusing on kind of like really small things like um you know proper casing first name when they Mm. have um maybe their one of their forms on their website is not getting to the right people or their routing is messed up or you know, just even lead source tracking might not even be effective. And I'm like, okay, think about like, you don't have much time. Is this really a priority? But yes, I know you want to use like personalization in your emails and that's super important and, and everything, but your emails aren't even like, you know, you can live without that because in most cases, 85% maybe or whatever, it's going to be fine. So don't yeah. account for like your anomalies, like really focus on the things that matter. And so I think that just helps with making decisions. Okay, I need to, as far as like campaigns, getting out the door, setting up templates so you can like decentralize that process. And then that frees up some of your time. Um, and then making sure the whole like lead to SDR process is, is sorted. And then when you think about like staffing and the resources, I think you really need to get into the mindset of, um, showing how much more could be done or how thing, uh, marketing mm. could scale more if your team was larger. So that was always kind of my talk track. I could show, okay, these are all the things I'm working on, but if I had had this person, this person, this person, I could have actually gone to all of this in this time frame. And hey, these are our company goals or marketing goals. I can't meet those goals on your timeline. If it's just me, I would need this person, this person, these are all the things they're working on and it's going to fit their, you know, eight, nine, 10 hour day or whatever. So, um, that I think showing what the company's missing out on when you're trying to make the, you know, do a good fight and getting your hiring and resources. And then if you can't get the headcount, think about, okay, what can be outsourced? What can I do? I'm going to be a leader in managing the parts that align to my skill set. But what are what's outside my skill set that actually, hey, I can pull in the experts to do this, and um, making the case for that because that can be really useful, especially for even you know maybe companies right now where maybe they lost headcount, but their company's looking for maybe that um, help that they can account for that doesn't have to be a full-time hire or something like that. But um, I think still just knowing that it need, you can do more when your team has more, but if it's only you making sure that everything you're working on is something that's going to, you know, be tied to revenue and just make that whole 
process work um, seamlessly. And you'll just naturally know, like, just think about like you're working on something. Is this tied to one of your marketing team's initiatives? And is it, you know, are, are all of your kind of, it's like, it, it kind of is like if you're developing like a meal or something, mm -hmm. like if you're, if you're getting your breakfast, lunch and dinner and like, who cares if you like missed a snack or something, you know, or like whatever. And so um, focusing on like, what are your meals that you need to make sure that you're getting? And then within those meals, you know, making sure you're hitting your macros and that's kind of like, am, are this like set up properly? Am I making sure that like my lead source is accounted for? We have campaign templates, our campaigns are being tracked properly to campaign, you know, to campaigns and sales force. And then our sales team actually has the process to find those um, leads, follow up with them and then qualify them appropriately. Like literally that whole process in itself, if you just nail that down, like that is a huge step. Right now I can see like a bunch of people hitting rewind 15 seconds on the podcast. Be like, okay, this is all I need to get my head around. If I could just nail <laughs> this. It, it's so true. You talked about not trying to um, focus on anomalies. I think, and I was like, why do we do that? I think they're exciting. They're interesting. Mm -hmm. It's like a unique challenge you haven't dealt with before. And it also might be something to help you procrastinate from dealing with the, the last 30 seconds that you just talked about, which is what really is going to have the big impact. And it just reminds me of when you're talking about, you know, when it's the meals, not the snacks. And it's, it's all about almost like the 80, 20 of like, what's the biggest bang for my buck right now? If I can spend one moment doing one thing, what's the most important thing I can be doing right now? And if it's tied to revenue, if it's tied to the goals, that's probably your answer, you know, as opposed to totally. one of these nice to haves or, and that's where I think we get in trouble that way. Right. If we, uh, the CEO's like, Oh, what are you working on now? Well, I'm, I'm writing this special program that, takes everyone's name and make sure that it's capitalized yeah. so that the emails and you know and i've spent a week on this i'm learning apex coding and it's like well how many of those are actually lowercase um i have something like a half a percent of the people in our database okay so so like 30 people <laughs> you know? yeah. it's like you could have just manually did that at that point um but exactly yeah, focusing on the things that matter and even you had said too when asking for things, also don't talk to the anomalies you're going to fix with the extra budget or staff. Talk to the fact that you need to meet these goals, the organization mm -hmm. goals. Um, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah and I think that um, you, to your point, there's some kind of like cool stuff that you can do when you get tied in the details. But I think also another, um, and this, this is kind of a controversial thing. I think that I think maybe. Let's get controversial. Yeah. Like, let's do it. I just hate like, um, kind of like the growth hacker mentality. I think that in some ways I think it can be powerful. Like what some people are doing that have that title. I, I'm not discrediting you if you have that title, but I do think that the hacking part where we're just kind of like putting things together and like hoping that they work. And, and sometimes I find that that's really tied to, um, this like, overuse of like technology in a way where it shouldn't be used Agreed. and creating these spider webs of just like like you said apex and think like no like for the majority of the people no one's going to know what's going on and you're probably yeah. not documenting it because you just probably aren't especially if you're at a startup and that just the downstream effects of that is so hazardous you don't yeah. think it you're like oh i'm setting up all this cool stuff and yes that is cool but 
if you think about longevity for that company, or if you think about how that will scale, it's just going to get ripped out. Like, because no one understands it. It's not documented. It's kind of just like exactly what it sounds like hacking things together. And, um, I think that some of the stuff that we get caught up like, Oh, this is cool. Yes, Mm -hmm. it is cool. But like, is it right? right? You know, is it right for the business? And, is it something that you will literally be like six years from now, this is going to be in place? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. You know, the, the hacking term, I feel like it implies like no, no planning or no need to plan. Like mm-hmm. I know you got to have to plan, but you don't really want to. So don't worry. Here's a quick hack that you mm-hmm. could do. And it's almost like a silver bullet. Like if you do this hack on mm-hmm. your, all your landing pages should have a red button because red buttons respond the best. <laughs> Actually, they don't. That's not the truth. But um, red, like, it's, I, a lot of people were like all fixated on red buttons. And then um, I don't know if you know Brian Massey. Um, he's, he's the, the marketing yeah, scientist. Definitely. He like wears a lab coat and drinks coffee out of a beaker. Like he's legit. He, oh. All he does is test all day long. And he told me, you know, the, the only color that matters for your, for your button is a color that's not in the palette of your page. And, and that color right. is the best. Like he's tested it. And he's like, you don't need to do that. You don't need to hack. But you know what? He's like way beyond any of this. And, and this is to your point as well. It's like, what would be better? Changing the colors like nine different times or I don't know, making that page super relevant to the buyer who you really understand, you know? Totally. And like, a, good, a good thing crazy. to support his uh, button colors. Everyone for a while thought orange was the color. Right. But, it, but it's because no one's like a lot of people's company colors doesn't isn't orange isn't orange you know like it's always going to be blue or red or, yeah. or purple or something like that and so yeah it does make sense that it's orange because that's the thing standing out on the page and, right um, unless, you had, unless you're hubspot or someone with an orange background <laughs> yeah, exactly in which yeah. case orange would not do well for you <laughs> <laughs> no. um, yeah but these yeah. hacks you're right it's there's there is no magic silver quick fix for that and again it's back to like the 80 20 of like what can i spend my time on you know and mm-hmm. it's not this little quick thing that's gonna magically i i hear you on that it's there are no magic fixes for that stuff and i think i have um even seen myself fall into this trap of um someone wanting something and literally like i'm gonna try my hardest. I'm going to, I'm going to get rich or die trying to like yeah. do this. Right. Like I just need to find a way to do this, you know, for, cause this is what the company wants. And sometimes that is bending things in a way. And I've actually like, I, I think there was a certain point in my career where I was like, I have to just say, I'm sorry. The, the only way to do this, no one's going to understand like how it's set up. And I think for just for the scalability and, and sustainability of this process, we need to just keep it simpler. Yeah. And, and there's been times where people be like, Oh yeah, you know, I'll have a client, like they want this crazy lead routing structure. And I'm like, you know, I think this is overcomplicated. Do you think we yeah. can maybe simplify it? And I think you might actually find that it's more effective when it's simplifying your whole marketing ops team. Isn't just going to be chasing slacks all day of why something got routed a certain way. And I think that's what we need to think about too. Like we think about, okay, how complex is this set up? But think about how complex it would be to QA it for your team. How much time are they going to spend just getting messages of like, how did this person get routed to this person? How did this person become an MQL? And when it's 
um, when things are so complicated, you put yourself in that vulnerable state of all of that mm-hmm. happening. And I think that further perpetuates, like I said, to marketing ops team, not letting look at strategic, because how can you, when all of your day is being spent firefighting and just trying to chase down issues, like you literally have no time left at the end of the day to even think strategically. Yeah. Cause you're just, you're, you're too, you're in the weeds at that point. And totally. complexity will keep you there. Exactly. Always in the weeds. Like, yeah, you can't, we literally can't rise above it. And so I think you need to kind of like do yourself a solid and just like, think about your future self. Like, yes, you're built, you're making someone happy today. And that's going to give you that boost. Like, mm, yeah, I did that. Like mm-hmm. I, sh- you know, they're going to love me for this, but what what's going to happen like later when it breaks and you just like, are just chasing it. Like you're just going to wish like you didn't. So just think about the future self. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, that's the slippery slope or the technical side because a lot of marketing operations pros, they know what they're talking about with the tech. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I see this with when people go right to the how, you know, like mm-hmm. who, how are we going to do this? And then, right. I mean, worst case is when like the CEO is trying to do a how, like, you know, totally. like let's, it's not your job to do the how, like let the how the people, the experts figure out the how let's figure out what we want to do. And first of all, what are we trying to accomplish first? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It usually helps with the simplicity. Right. Cause otherwise people are like, Ooh, we can architect this whole thing. And like, wow, oh, that's so cool. And you're like, why are we all talking about the how right now? Can we just like get on the same page with where we're trying to go? Like what we're actually trying to accomplish. And then the how might even be like, to your point, like four clicks. Totally. And I, I, I love that you said that because I think also, and maybe we'll talk about this after, but I think that now because things have been so much focused on the how and marketing ops and the technical side, I think people have lost sight of um, like how this, what really entails for this role, especially if you want to lead the team. And it causes a bit of imposter syndrome. Like I even feel it sometimes like, I know, you know, Marketo in and out. I know how to set up all the programs. I know, you know, how all the systems work together. I literally know like every tool. I am not fluent in JavaScript. I'm not fluent in Apex. And sometimes I get into these points where I'm like, am I not a really good ops person because I don't know that? Mm -hmm. Like, does that just discredit everything that I know? And it's like, no, you know, and then I sit there like, no, like not at all. Like, because if anything, you can know how to do that stuff, but then know nothing about everything I just talked about, which is how to align with the business goals, how to create a strategic roadmap, you know, how to hire the right people, how to staff them to the, um, the rest of the marketing team or business properly. Those are all things that makes a great ops leader. It doesn't mean you need to know Apex. And so I think, but because all of the, like the things that promote marketing out people or, or a lot of the companies that, um, you know, focus on kind of marketing ops is very much focused on the how and the really cool shit you can do. Like, yeah. I think that is valuable. Um, but, and, and that's part of why I like, you know, um, podcasts like this one or, um, even for our own podcast, like in our newsletter, we try and, and think about it a bit more holistically. Like, you know, that's, that's only one small piece of it. That's only one small piece of the pie. And, and, you know, you shouldn't even let it then because there's, there's different people that you can have in marketing ops. There's kind of like Scott Brinker has like the five M's, 
which mm. is, um, I feel like I'm going to screw up all the names, but it's like kind of like the, the different roles are more of like a technical role and practical role, um, or from the Marketo admin, a technical kind of like coder. And then, you know, you can have a, um, uh, like someone focused in data analytics and then oh, you can sure. have someone kind of like leading that whole team. Um, and so, um, the, I think when we think we have to be all of that, that's when we fall into that kind of like imposter syndrome scenario. Um, But I think a a good way to combat that is to focus on like, what are my goals for my career in marketing ops? What are the things I do know? What are the things I don't? Um, But what are the things I know enough about that it's going to help me do my goals where I don't need to know how to do it technically, but I just need to know, um, you know, to, to know enough about it, of how it fits into the big picture. And I think for, for um, some of us, that will give us more confidence in knowing like based on what my career goals, all, goals are, yes, I don't need to spend months trying to figure out how to be fluent in Marketo JavaScript or something, you know? Right. Um, you know, I don't need to be a Stanford white man of the world and this and that, like, you know, sh- um, he's like amazing the technical side but for everyone who um, is like listening, like you can forge your own kind of marketing ops persona, like especially as a, as a leader and knowing that you can pull in amazing kind of technical people like that into your team and let them have the space to run with those amazing skills, but you don't have to be the person to do it. Yeah. You don't need to be a level 10 community moderator. Yeah. I had to Google him. I'm a more of a part of guy. So I was like, who is this sage you speak of? But yeah, there, he's kind of like the Steve Mollis of, um, the, I think yes. his name's Steve Mollis. Yeah. On yes. the yeah, community. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Uh, but it, you're, I think the whole thing brings up the question of like, it's worth being a little intentional about our careers in terms of where do we want it to go? Because there's a bit of a crossroads. You, and a lot of us got here from the tech in the first place, right? You with Marketo, me with Pardot. Mm-hmm. And it, you can feel comfortable in there. But I think really, as what we're seeing, the career growth comes from taking on accountability and responsibility, owning the process, owning the result of marketing, mm-hmm. owning the fact that, p- that people get from A to Z. They, over, they get to sales. The revenue occurs. Like you, The more accountability you take on, you start just bubbling up to higher levels and taking on more strategic roles. And there's def- that is the path. That is, there's a great path to your very first point. Marketing ops, you could be the future CMO. You're, totally. you're the right person to do that. You just need to start thinking at a little bit, of, you know, a little bit higher level. You mentioned the entrepreneurial mindset. What is my boss thinking? What is my boss's boss thinking? Like, what are the <laughs> goals they're trying to accomplish? And you start elevating yourself that way. If that's the way you want to go. Totally. And I think that, you know, it's hard to say this because my agency, you know, a lot of what we do is like supporting Marketo customers. We, totally. we support like other tools, but I think that aligning your career with just a tool is not really the way to go about it because what happens if one day that tool is non-existent, yeah. but you like knowing the concepts or how things works and the structure and the process, that's longevity for your career. It's not just understanding the tool inside out. And that's even something that, you know, I push myself. Yes, I, I know the tools really well, but on top of that as a consultant, my value, like how much you're paying me, like for hours actually, like only this much knowing Marketo, but 
knowing everything about the business, yeah. how it all fits together. That is value. And, but also that's something that's really going to build my career because it's not just going to be maybe taken away from me at a moment's notice. Right. Acquisitions happen, things change. Mm -hmm. And I think all these platforms, rightly so, build up amazing communities. And mm -hmm. I know we enjoy each other's tribes and it, it can be fun to, to geek out and, you know, these user groups and all this, but it's a great point that like these platforms will continue to promote their, their ecosystem, but we need to rise above that and understand that the tech just helps us get the larger job done. Right. There's totally. a bigger mission to, yeah, it's a great mm -hmm. point. Yeah. Man, who are you? <laughs> you know, so many things you, you've like, you, you've sort of shared, you've deconstructed and reconstructed back the whole marketing ops position and, and in the path to CMO, take me back in time, like little Chrissy days. What was it like growing up you? What, what were you, you know, like, what were you thinking and what did you want to be when you're growing up and all that? Yeah. So, I mean, so I grew up in the Bay area, which I think okay. is, um, not typical. Uh, I think even from people who are in the Bay area, we get a lot of people who come here in troves to like work in tech and, um, but I grew up in San Jose and um, I come from like a large family. I'm an identical twin. Really? Um, <laughs> yeah. Is she um, in marketing too? Cause that would be really no. fun and confusing. No, she's actually a wellness coach. So everything she does is actually like, you know, she thinks everything I do is like super boring and um, she, she, is it you is know, that her, mutual? Do you think? No, I think what she does is fascinating. To oh, be honest, no. like, <laughs> I would love, uh, and actually I have a podcast episode that people should check out that has both of us on it. It's, um, it's kind of like, uh, talking through like how you can be more productive in marketing ops, um, by approaching your mindset and, and wellness, um, routine. Awesome. And, Is it on the forward thinking one? Yeah. on forward thinking. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and you can see if we look alike, but, um, we filmed that at the beginning of COVID because I think that's when I realized like people are going to be like working from home and their whole routines are kind of flipped upside yes. down and how we can maybe change that. But, but yeah, I have a uh, identical twin sister and I have an older sister and I have a brother and from a, my, we have an Italian family. And, um, I think that that kind of brought me up and my dad worked in sales and I, I always, um, attribute kind of like my dad's um, career to be something that really just got me interested in just like business in general. And you look at the shows that my dad would watch on TV or books he would listen to. They're always about like business and selling and everything. So I think even that alone, I always like sided myself with whoever was leading the SDR team. Like I just think that or sales. Like I just think yeah. that the sales side is just so fascinating and marketing ops is literally like one of the secret secrets, like to making sales more effective. And I think right. so that played a big role, but beyond that, I think, yeah, so he was in sales and then, um, I've always been interested in kind of, you know, working like just to, for money. Like I had, my mom yeah. was like, you want something like go and work and I started working for me a young age and then, but it was always kind of just in kind of like sales, selling roles, like, you know, selling clothes, selling something. And then. So you've done uh, that kind of sales kind of side. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking after your dad. Um, and, yeah. That's cool. And then I went to college and I, 
And I have to be honest, like I was always a great student going to, um, I never really talked about this, but I was always a good student kind of growing up and, you know, did academic Catholic and all this stuff. And then I went to um, a private high school and it was like right in the middle of um, like a really wealthy area of Bay Area. And um, I, I commuted there from San Jose and I felt like when I got there, I felt a little bit discouraged because all these people had, um, you know, tutors and mm. um, just knew they were going to Stanford and just oh, had that path like nailed out for them. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't compete here. And part of that kind of made it. So I knew where my areas like I was strong in, but I still think that it kind of, I was just like, oh, okay, I guess I'm just a marginal student. And then so I went to. Yeah. <laughs> it's went tough to- being around a bunch of, oh man, like they always talk about you, you're either like the rock star with a bunch of people who are less than you at a school or in this case, you know, you're in the school and everyone just has the hookup and I'm sure there's like just totally. money flowing everywhere and then tutors and people just like, they already know it. That's tough. Tough, yeah. And, and to be honest, like I think back on it now and I was a bit like, um kind of frustrated because I'm like why can't I have that but I look now and I'm like well you know they're they have the resources to give them being a parent now I'm like I'm sure like you feel tempted to do that so I definitely (laughs) but my parents gave me like other avenues and I, I can't say that I I was like in the wrong way like they you know they help pay for um, our private school, like my parents remortgaged their houses a few times, or their house a few times just to oh, do gee. that. And like amazing, like dedication. Cause they knew they wanted like a good future for us, especially my mom's Italy, um, and she wanted that. So wait, wait, she, um, she came from Italy. You broke up for a second. What, what were you saying? Oh, are you there? Yeah, no, yeah. I'm here. Oh, I think I lost you for a second. Oh yeah. Okay, so you're saying like your your mom she she came from Italy. Okay, so what were you saying? Your mom was like from Italy. Yeah, my mom's from Sicily, and she moved um to America when she was sixteen, and then she kind wow. of like was told, "Oh, your English isn't good enough to go to college," and so that always kind of put my mom like a bit like really focused on education for us, and so. Yeah. Um, it was like, you can't, I've always thought I can't let my parents stay out, like right. you know, give me these opportunities. So, but I ended up going to Cal Poly, which is like an amazing school, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And I was very fortunate, but I, I, um, and I studied marketing there, um, but on the, in agribusiness. So interesting, like agriculture. Um, yeah. So like food marketing and I, I did a lot of classes in wine and bit and, I also did an English minor because I love um, Me too. English and writing and, and stuff like that. And I thought, okay, well, this could be a backup if maybe I wanted to do something in terms of like writing and content and stuff. And like what um, is marketing but a bunch of writing, right? So it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so uh, I thought, oh, I'm going to do, you know, marketing for like a winery or something like that. Um, And that was always my goal. I was, I love food. I love the food industry. I like, as a kid, I wanted to be a chef and really, yeah. And you ever think of going to cooking like chef school or anything like that? Oh yeah. Like my parents even took me to the CIA, um, the Culinary Institute of America. Oh yeah. Or we actually went to, there used to be one in San Francisco. Okay. 
uh, or like area now it's in like Napa or whatever but um back then a long time ago when I was like six or something and we did like a tour and um I got like a sweatshirt there and then I ended yes. up going to the one in Napa later when I was like in my teens and it's just always been really interesting to me but I just knew um you know probably a hard industry to be in and so I kind of oh, steered yeah. away from like being a chef per se but like I grew up watching like Julia Child and like loved cooking shows and I still love it to this day like if I wasn't doing marketing I would do something with food so you know they have um boot camps you can go to I got my wife one for Christmas one year where it's like a four-day boot camp and it's at in this case it was the CIA in New York oh wow but like visiting it it's like the Harry Potter it's like it's like Harry <laughs> Potter school for chefs it's this old old you know stone buildings and people running around and oh in the, in the streets they have crosswalks with chef hats on them like oh cool chefs, little little stick figures with chef hats on crossing the street um I would yeah, love and that. They, they give you the chef jacket it says cia on it and everything and yeah that's amazing yeah um yeah. so cooking so actually and just thinking about the one that i toured in san francisco there's cia now but the one i toured in san francisco is actually the coron blue so oh I, yeah I, I think i messed up but yeah there's that one. Good one and though. um yeah and Anyway, so yeah, food is kind of like my passion and then doing wine. But then I'm from San Jose. So after school, I moved home and um, I was just searching for like internships online. And I found one at Marketo on um, like Craigslist of all places. Really? Yeah. And I've gotten a job off of Craigslist. It's, it's bizarre. Like you'd think like, eh, well, but then you check it and then you end up getting the real hookup. You know, you get like... Hey, what can you say? I mean, that's, but wow, to go from, was it right from school to Marketo? Yeah. Um, Holy for, crap. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and so, um, and I just had to, I just got hired as like a general kind of like marketing intern and then just found my way, like just doing like everything. I literally did anything we wanted to be done, like cleaning, uh, cleaning our marketing cabinet, making it organized, like trying to figure out like, the best way to like set it yeah. up to grab collateral or something, you know, like anything I was like, Ooh. I'm going to optimize this. And then, um, I ended up my boss at the time, which shout out to him is Chris Russell. Um, hey, <laughs> he's amazing. And he led the marketing ops there. So he, I kind of went under his helm, um, Maria Pergolino, um, who was head of Mark, uh, like the demand gen or marketing, our marketing team at that time. Um, she's amazing too. She's the CMO of Active Campaign now. But um, oh wow! Shout out to her. Active Campaign's making some moves. I keep hearing about. Yeah, that. yeah. And uh, but so we just had an amazing team, and um, we just worked so close together. And it was just such a great place to learn. Um, I worked a ton, and um, just got into the more of the marketing ops role, which we didn't really like have like a marketing ops team. But Chris and I just like you know, I joined him and we kind of built it and, um, and then quickly got like promoted into a manager and then, and so I just grew my kind of, um, role there and, and group there. And, um, yeah, so that was like my entry point. I never saw myself really entering like tech, but it was hard to find a job in 2010 or 29 or 2009, like 2010, like it was just coming off the latest recession in mm. 2008. And so it was like, if, you know, I was just lucky to have a job. Um, and, and then I ended up really liking it. I just like business. I like 
the marketing ops thing to me, I think, no, I didn't see anyone really interested in doing it. And I was like, oh, this seems interesting. Like you can work with so many different people. And I love touching all parts of the business. Like I could be working with the head of SDRs. I could be working with an SDR. I could be like figuring out the right process for them. I could, you know, work with the demand gen team, build a center of excellence, like build templates for them. All of that to me, I just like found so interesting. And so that was my entry point to uh, marketing ops. So. That's so cool. What a place to start, like yeah. at the source, at the well itself, <laughs> one of the marketing automation companies. Um, amazing because then you get a chance to interface with all the other ones. Um, but I think one of the things you were saying is like you brought, you know, you brought you to every bit of that job, like organizing the supply closet, organizing like whatever, just yeah. taking, I mean, it's, it's so huge. Really that entrepreneurial mindset, like it's not about, Oh, I, here's my job description. I'm just gonna do this. No, it's like, I will do everything trying to be a sponge and that's, totally. you, had, you know, and I bet you, I bet you, Chris, Maria, they'll remember you and go, Oh yeah. And they'll probably mention something that you, you brought order from the chaos to <laughs> probably don't even remember that you did, you know? Yeah. Our tipping point there is, um, I always think back on it because it's maybe part of the reason why they ended up hiring me full time, but we had Dreamforce and mm -hmm. we were one of the biggest, we were one of like the big sponsors that year. And, um, but we had a small team and we literally like had to set up everything that we were going to do in such a short amount of time. So I worked on kind of like managing our demo schedule, working the booth, like all the time, making sure our prospects actually made it to those meetings, yeah. getting collateral, um, working the parties and um, doing follow-up, doing nightly follow-up, um, wow. which if anyone on that team, if we, if you worked uh, Streamforce after that, you realize like we would take leads you know, get them into the system, already have a follow-up ready for them to go out that night sometimes. You even like invite them to our, um, it was just crazy. And, but it was just such uh, a good, you know, good experience because you're touching so much. And I, I always laugh, like I counted how many paper cuts I had at, at the end of yeah. like when Dreamforce, it was like 13 paper it. cuts because I was just like grabbing collateral, doing this, doing this, open a box, like going to this thing, going to that. And um, that buzziness and you're just exhausted at the end. But I, I was just like, I was just buzzing off it and loved it totally. because I just was like talking to prospects, pitching it, uh, it just everything in just that short amount of time. And I think when you are on a small startup team like that, it just gives you those avenues to see where there's an opportunity to really make an impact and then yes. dive into it and then do it. And and that's kind of a piece of advice for just anyone um, who's coming up in, in a company. And I, I feel like sometimes I see less of it happening and I don't know maybe why that's the case. And I think maybe people got so used to just getting a job straight out of college and maybe we felt like we need to work harder. But I do think that having that proactive initiative is kind of what a leader, like a manager is looking for from someone who is coming up the ranks because it's hard to manage people and tell them what to do all the time. I think a good thing is try and figure out what is your boss kind of expecting of you, but even going beyond that and figuring out how you can place yourself in a way where you're really providing value. Um, and that can be like just immensely impactful on your career. And if you continue to think that way um, throughout your career, I think you'll just, 
you know, just watch those promotions start piling up. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Um, wow. At what point, what, when did, when did you decide to go do, you know, put your own shingle up as they say, or create your own company? When, when was that decision? Yeah. So I, I think beyond Marketo, I went to leading a global marketing operations team yeah. Um, at Jive and I did a lot of travel for that. I went back and forth to um, England a lot and I How much is a lot? Like once a month? Yeah, I felt like it. Yeah. In the sky miles where they just threw the roof? (laughs) You're just still traveling on them kind of thing? It was probably like a little bit less than that, but it was a lot. Yeah, especially at the beginning because we were just trying to get operations and like a whole team set up there. And so for me and my boss, like one of us was were or both of us would go sometimes but we were going a lot because we wanted to make sure that that team kind of worked autonomously so they weren't so reliant on us since we were, have like such a different time zone Seriously. and um yeah. yeah and so but it was amazing like i um i had never been to europe until that job like really I, oh I that's kn- awesome yeah, I didn't do a lot of traveling growing up because with a family of six, like you don't really do traveling. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you you do car trips and then you realize like you kind of want to kill each other by the end and then <laughs> yeah. you decide never to do car trips again. But um, but yeah, so it was amazing to like pack on time and I was able to like go to Sicily where my mom's from and yeah, so so not just um, not just England but like all over Europe. I would just like tag on a place at the end of a trip. Like, okay, oh, yeah, maybe yeah, I'll yeah. just go totally. for like a little bit of like um, time after that. And so- Do you have any favorites from those travels? Oh yeah. Well, the one to Sicily was amazing. Sicily. Um, I haven't been there. That sounds really cool. It's really nice. And then I went to Belgium with my, um, with my boss at the time and she had family there and um, we visited them in this like tiny town and it was amazing. Like the food's amazing. and. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that was, that was a good time. Um, but anyway, so long story short, um, I, one of the team members there is actually my husband now, Charlie. So we, cool. we had a work, it, it probably looked down upon now, but we were <laughs> like, um, you know, we had a, we were friends at work. We worked on a lot of projects together and I was just like, wow, we worked so well together. It would, there'd be times where we'd working on you know, projects and it'd be like late into the night and we'd still be working on them. And for him, like definitely into his like morning. And I think we realized, wow, like not only do we, are we able, we really like working with each other, but we ended up developing for a relationship and we told our bosses about it. But by that time I was like, okay, it probably doesn't make sense to be working this closely with someone that I also have romantic feelings for. Sure. And so I ended up going to, another um company because we actually ended up getting married and um and then that's the my other side of cs2 so um i'm oh uh, so, cool yeah so his name Chris, is, charlie, sorry, is it? Yeah. Charlie, charlie charlie that's right yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then my name is christy but um so i i went to another role after that and i was doing a lot i did marketing ops revenue ops i demand gen and um, I built an SDR team and I was just starting to manage those people. So it was, it was a lot yeah, at that wow. time. I was getting like no sleep. Um, I, yeah, it was very kind of an unhealthy situation. It was amazing cause I owned so much, but, um, I, I ended up 
it always starts with kind of like a sad part of the story, but my dad, um, my dad always suffered with like a, a disease growing up and then mm. uh, complications from that disease. He ended up getting cancer and I found out about that and oh, I was working a lot. And then he, you know, we got that um, diagnosis and I thought, okay, I kind of want to step back and just be able to like, not be so tied to a job in one place um, that I was commuting a lot. I was commuting from San Jose to San Mateo every day. And that's a like minimum of an hour okay. on the train. And, um, but it can be, you know, driving there would take like an hour and 45 minutes sometimes um, coming back home. And I was like, I can't spend my life doing this. So, um, I, and, and then, um, I love like pleasing people too. Like I just love like kind of just doing it all. And I think in some ways I needed a more healthy way for me to set that, yeah. like me to decide what I'm going to work on instead of letting other people decide what I'm going to sure. work on, mm -hmm. which is why if you look at a lot of my stuff, like I'm very sympathetic to the person in house. I hate like the kind of consulting or anything where someone's like, why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? It's like, no, I understand why you're not yeah. doing that. If I, I had time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I know the lack of time. I know the priorities shifting. I know everything. So I, we always lead with that like empathy because we have worked in house, but you know, I was just sitting there and I'm um, with Charlie in England at one point I was going to go back home. And then um, he said, well, why don't you, why don't you just maybe like try out the consulting thing? Like you've taught, you know, people have asked you, then that's the thing. Like, I think people like moonlight now, I don't know how people do that because I had yeah. enough going on in my other job. <laughs> that I'm know. like moonlighting. What is that? And, um, and so, but people have been reaching out to me like, Hey, you know, do you do any con con consulting on the side or contracting? And I was like, no, I don't, I don't have time to do that. I'm sorry. Um, and I also just thought it probably wasn't like fair to my company to really do that. I don't know why it just seemed weird to me. So I was like, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to like, just make the break to do it. Right. Sure. Um, and we, but also me and my husband had an idea for another company that we wanted to do on our own and actually we did it and we got a funded kickstarter kickstarter but that's a whole nother um thing if you ever want to look up it's called Waxy, and we actually had to put on pause because shelters um we didn't have enough shelters who wanted to do it um but you did a kickstarter anyway. what was it? it it was a kickstarter um for a platform called Waxy that connects people to um to rescue dogs or like shelter dogs to take them out for walks wow. um, because we went on our honeymoon and saw that we walked a dog who they had a program where you could walk dogs that need to be adopted and mm -hmm. we we it was a really had a really su good success rate um, and I think now like back then I think a lot of the shelters and rescues had too many rules where they couldn't implement it but I've actually have heard of programs that are just now gaining steam and so actually Waxie could be a good platform for them. But I think during that time, it was just, we had, but we had like thousands and thousands and thousands of followers of people who wanted to do it. And so it was really sad to like break away. But anyway, besides that, that was a good learning experience as well, because we like worked on the product, built the product, like all that. But we, I couldn't have done that also in my full-time job. So I decided to do my um, consulting. I messaged my network. I just messaged like some people and I got like a hundred percent response rate. They're like, yes, 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 yes. And so the first day I started and then I told, it was just meant to be me. And I told Charlie, I don't know how I'm going to do this all on my own. 
and he was right? going to move, um, move out to America right after that. We had our long distance and we had to wait for his visa. And then, so he ended up moving out and then joining me. And then we took on the clients um, together. And then that was the beginning of CSQ. Man, uh, it, it's amazing the evolution of how these things come about and just yeah. find things. And something like five years later now, right? You've been doing that for a bit. So now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been like five and a half years. And yeah. it's amazing, like, where, yeah, where your decisions come from. Like, for me, it was like a lifestyle change. But, mm-hmm. but, but I was still working a lot. I was still working, you know, in, in, I was still working hard. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to start like my lifestyle company. It was more like I wanted to also choose something that I knew I could. Um, well, one working with Charlie was, was also really appealing to me. Like once we got into it, cause I was, I, we just, we work well together, but that's awesome. That is I, really cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's really rare. And I think people are like, how are you guys not like hate each other, but it just works somehow. But, um, and I think for, um, but I think looking back on it now, I really just like love problem solving and I love all the dynamics of a business. And so being tied to one, I think is amazing, but being able to scale that out to a ton of businesses, providing value to all of them was the extra appealing thing and why I really like that. And that's why even now looking for more avenues to touch even more people or more companies with um, like our podcast or, um, you know, workshops that we do and stuff, because I just love new challenges and, and, and meeting new people, all my clients. Um, I really get to know really, really well. Some of our clients have been a client since we started on day one. So they've been clients for like five and a half years. Yeah. 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 So it's been really great for that and building a team. Um, and we're kind of a small, but mighty team. Um, but we're, we're kind of figuring, you know, adding new members as we see it. But for us, like it was, it was also, um, a different take on an agency. We've used agencies before that kind of come in and have big projects. And, and I think that can be valuable, but they were never always tied to like figuring out our business first. And so we take that bottom, that different approach where we like to go in, you know, audit, audit everything that's going on with the company, interview different people, work cross-functionally. And then that helps us really get embedded with that company and, and, and then work mm-hmm. on projects that's really going to scale for them instead of, Hey, here's your lead scoring model that like we do for all of our clients. And you're going to have maybe this lower level person work on it. I think that scales really well. And I'll say, I'll be the first one to say like, that's an amazing business model and I'm jealous because it's easier, but we, we're trying to figure out now, like, how do we still still be able to scale and help a lot of companies, um, even beyond just the our our ones we work on now, but do it in a way where we're still being mindful of that unique business because every business is unique and every setup is going to be unique um, based on what their goals are. Right. When did the women in revenue come about? Yeah. So um, one of my clients even from one of the first ones was Sherry Johnston and we got connected actually through John Miller, um, who from one of the co-founders of Marketo oh, and yeah. he suggested me out, um, to her when we first started and, and we got connected and worked at a few of the companies that she worked at. And, 
we were just like chatting. I don't even remember where I was, but in a restaurant um, in the dog patch where I, when I lived in San Francisco and um, she said, you know, we were talking about women and women in marketing and saying, oh, you know, she'd talked to a few people like, I feel like there needs to be something to like promote women, helping other women, women supporting women, especially in revenue, because you always see women in tech, women in, you know, women engineers, women this, but like there hadn't been something really focused on women in revenue. So our B2B kind of tech space. And I think it's niche enough where like a lot of people know each other. Mm -hmm. Um, but also there isn't a lot of stuff geared toward the women in revenue. So that's supporting with um, women in marketing sales and customer success or kind of like the CS side. Makes and sense so, because there's yeah. a difference in, in tech and in revenue back to our earlier conversation. If you want to be in tech, then you keep learning as much tech as you can. But if you want to climb to CMO, like it's that bigger conversation you were talking about. Yeah, Need totally. It. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, like, because I've seen, I feel like sometimes women feel like, like have, I, and I've seen it before, but women feel like they're fighting for that same position. Mm. So sometimes that can be um, hard because I think we think then we need to fight against each other. And if anything, we just need to support each other to get to those positions and know that, you know, if the opportunities are there, there's enough to go around. Like, let's not think of each other as like, you know, an enemy to get there. And, and so I thought this is great. Like, this is what needs to be done, especially for uh, women coming up in women and, you know, or women in revenue coming up. And there's a lot of things that I think I had to stumble along the way to figure out being a woman, like how to handle certain situations, um, you know, fight, you know, imposter syndrome, pay, mm -hmm. you know, equity when it comes to that. Um, even like, you know, I know a lot of women are, are trying to figure out even now, like, you know, the millennials of like my generation are now starting to have kids and they're trying to figure out how do I blend career and, mm. you know, being a mom and that's kind of unique to certain positions, especially if you're in sales or marketing for a tech company or a startup, which is super demanding. And so these are all kind of the issues that we tried to explore. And, and this year we've been super focused also on exploring. Um, so anyway, it got started, Women Revenue That's got cool. started a nonprofit and with a bunch of other amazing women who helped um, be on the board. But our big focus even like now is, is really that like diversity, inclusion, equity this year, because obviously that's a big topic. And, um, we have a lot of diverse, uh, you know, members, but we, we still realize that a lot of us in certain positions that can make an impact, like a lot of us are, you know, white or we're, you know, we identify as female, um, you know, it's, you know, we have come from certain backgrounds and I think uh, we need to be allies for those like not only is it hot, tough being a woman but think about how tough it is to be a woman of color or a woman who um sexuality is uh, is different than her peers or you know someone who finds it hard to express how they identify themselves like these are all things that i think adds on to um the you know the those that situation of like feeling inferior sometimes mm. and, and, and fighting people's subconscious biases that they might have. So our goal is to make it sure that for, 
for those of us who it is a little bit easier, not only, yes, we are women, we're fighting that, that's the main goal, but then even for other um, peers or, or friends or even in the network who have that other element, how do we be an ally to them? How do right. we support them? How can we be a sponsor to them? And really that means talking about them, giving them a voice. And I love that you're doing that on your podcast. Mm. I've seen such a diverse speaker lineup, which is amazing from be, being a woman, not only, but also from different backgrounds. And I think that's something that we've been trying to do at Women Revenue. We're going to continue to do because, but always um, then realizing that it's not, it's not segregating the people who are different, you know, men we're never talking about that if anything men can help us get there and so we even um, support men being mentors for our mentorship group mm. we love when uh, men are speaking at some of our events because getting that perspective of how men can support women especially in revenue is is the next step i think it is the way that we can open those doors for us because it makes no sense that like cmos are predominantly men when we know so many women are in marketing or, oh yeah <laughs> yeah or women right? don't choose sales because their first job is like they found a lot of you know that bro life broish guys yeah <laughs> around them and, and know that they can just forge an amazing career um yeah some so, of the best sales people i've purchased things from have been women like it you know there's so there's, there's it's a shame that you know you got whatever that culture weirdness of the the aggressive salesperson but like mm -hmm. you'll hear from a lot of sales trainers that like that all the stuff in the movies like guys that's not not even it's not even what yeah. works that's not what a good sales rep looks like so but i feel like you have a really balanced approach to that where you're like look the back to what we were talking about earlier the end goal is let's get let's let's first of all it's I mean, yeah, there's a great community of a Slack channel, I think too, right? You were mentioning. Yeah, we have a Slack yeah. channel. Um, you can sign up at um, womeninrevenue.org is our website. Okay. And when you sign up, you'll get the details to our Slack channel. We have almost 2,000 members on our Slack channel. We have about over 3,000 members total. Um, and becoming virtual this year has actually been amazing for us. We've ran these amazing virtual events. So hitting not just the San Francisco Bay Area, which is where all of our events were before, but now we're like, yes, we can have a global presence and uh, with these virtual events. Um, and a lot of them have been geared toward the US because of time zone, but thinking about how we can go even further than that. For the future. Yeah, and to your point, the, I mean, the goal is to like, let's elevate women in these positions. There should be a hell of a lot more CMOs um, because totally. you know, at any given time, especially even in my own team, at one point we had to like, like, wait, where are the guys? We had to make sure we had enough guys in the team. <laughs> I mean, women make great marketers. Like it, it's awesome. So, but I love that you're like, look, we're not going to exclude sources. Like whoever can help in this mission, like this is the mission. Let's all help out here. I, I wouldn't have assumed that by the way. I would have thought that like, you know, it would be weird to have a guy be a mentor in that group uh, or speak. But I'm glad that it isn't that sort of that weird thing that turns people off too. They're like, you know, they just, they just want to, get the thing done they just want to grow in their career so i really applaud that's really cool um i have a question for you uh, before we wrap up it's kind of a hypothetical and um i'm glad because we kind of a good tie-in for women revenue if you can go back in time and meet yourself after you graduated school a couple of days afterward um you can go meet that version of you what kind of advice would you would you give yourself would you give that gal there that you're talking to ah uh. Um, 
I would say that try and focus on the things that really matter and don't, don't feel like you need to do everything to matter. Like, I think uh, I would always, I, and I've been told this before in my career, is like I would try and like boil the ocean because I think I'd get overwhelmed by not everything being perfect. And I think you'll see that, and then also put a lot of pressure on myself to make things perfect. I think that makes a really good marketing ops person because you have that kind of like perfectionism mentality type A, you know, everything. But I think when it comes down to the business, especially a startup, they don't have time for you to fix everything. You just need to fix the things that really matter and focus on the things that really matter. And that's, t and kind of what I talked about and that's tied to revenue. So I think it's, you know, don't, don't try and be like, everything to everyone just like really kind of look at what what really makes it a difference um and awesome. i i think that i learned that over time but it took me a long time to figure that out um yeah well, that's powerful stuff what really matters <laughs> what matters right now is where can people connect with you where do you want them to reach out to you yeah so um so you can go to our website, cs2marketing.com, and that's where you'll um, find more about what we do. Um, and you'll also see in the top right corner, there's a Forward Thinking Center, which Forward Thinking is our podcast, as well as we have a newsletter you can sign up for. Um, and we have a lot of short clips there, too, for those of you who don't have time to listen to our full, um, full podcast. Um, but... Um, that's where you can see a lot of what the team's doing. Um, and then definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. You can just search, you know, um, Chrissy Saunders, or if you search for CS2's page, you'll actually see a link to all of our team's profiles so you can connect with us. Cool. Um, but yeah, and then I already said women in revenue, check yeah. that out, womeninrevenue.org. Nice. Um, and yeah, that's where you can connect with the uh, rest of the team and, and, you know, if you like this podcast and you're in marketing ops stuff or you're even lead a marketing ops team, like you're a CMO, definitely uh, check out forward thinking and check out our newsletter that goes out each week. Oh, that's awesome. Newsletter too. That's cool. Give people content the way they want it, how they want it. Yeah. So good. So good. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. I mean, there's all these links. There's so many places where people got to follow up with you. I mean, this has been awesome. I really, this has been super fun. But thank you. I first saw your name, Daryl Alfonso from Amazon, like shared our kind of names in a, in a list on top of each other. And I was like, how do I not know about that podcast? So it's amazing <laughs> yeah. to get like uh, connected. And this is a really fun episode. Like I don't ever go into my origin story even that far. Sure. And so it's, it's nice for um, people to have the stage to um, be able to share that. So if, if anything, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And a shout out to Daryl too. I know he's a, he's a, he's a listener. He's going to be on the show coming up soon. So oh, I'm ours to too. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Good dude. Super, super smart. So that was a fun combo. Yeah. It, it just, I'm glad you're here. And it, those stories, they, they just, that that's the flavor of our marketing. Like it, there, it still has the, you're still a chef. You're just a marketing chef now, you know, and, <laughs> um, and you can see all the different experiences help shape, 
your approach to things. And it's really cool to, to finally understand that here behind the scenes, not just the, the blog post at the top, but also what drove that from, from underneath that. So yeah, for those people listening, uh, if you learned something, and I freaking know you did, because I have run out of paper. I have two pages of notes over here, front and back. Wow. Then, um, then share this with someone. Be a thought leader. LinkedIn's great for that. Tag myself. Tag our rock star here. And we'll, <laughs> we'll get in a conversation. And we'll have a good time on LinkedIn. Uh, if you do reach out, make sure you say where you heard so you're not a weird stalker on LinkedIn. <laughs> and yeah. thanks again. This has been awesome. You're, you're a rock star. We should, we should hang out again in a couple months and check in and see how things are going. Oh yeah, for sure. And we'll have to have you on our podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. <laughs> I mean, it's so, I, I can't get past the name forward thinking it's F W D. Yeah. Roland thinking. So yes. cool. Yeah. And you can find it on Spotify on all the, where your podcast, wherever you're today. listening to this one, you can go find that one. You should go do that right now. Check yeah. Just Boom subscribe to these two and you're sorted. That's basically. it. You don't anything else. <laughs> <laughs> you only need two. Yeah. Oh man. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you all for listening. This has been the hardcore marketing show. We will catch you all next time. 